Hebrews 6 is where we are. We'll start in verse 9 and read down to verse 12. We covered verses 1 through 8 a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to call, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll pay attention to that a little bit, but let's turn our eyes. Hebrews 6, verse 9 through 12. Grass with us and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin right there, verse 9. The preacher says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Join me as we pray. <clears throat> Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, our triune God, we come. Pray that you would be close to the brokenhearted, that you would heal the wounded, that you would awaken those that are sleeping spiritually. For all of those that have been knocked off course through the week, may you draw us to the center, who is Christ. We pray that Jesus is honored here. In Christ's name we ask, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> A lot of families here have small children. If you're a parent with a small child, if you're a parent of a toddler, it's one thing to have a child that's crawling. We rejoice when the baby starts crawling. It's another thing altogether when that child gets up on two feet and gets mobile. If you have a child like that, you work hard to protect that child, and sometimes they slip out of your sight. have a little boy like that, you love him, you, you, you want to protect him, you do your best to keep him from harm. You want that little girl to flourish. If you're in the kitchen and you're working hard on supper and there, there she is at the, in the kitchen floor playing with the pots and pans and you're working there at the stove and it is very hot and you turn just for a moment over to the refrigerator and before you know it, because she does move so quickly, she's walked to the stove and her hand is just before touching the live burner. And you might yell at the top of your lungs, no! You might even swat her hand. That action would be scary for her. In fact, she might not in the moment understand it. And, and then after doing that, you might, you might wrap your arms around her and pick her up and say, baby, I, had to, I did that because I love you. I did that because I want to protect you. That stove is hot and it'll burn you. That seems to be what the preacher is doing with his congregation. You'll remember in chapter 5 and 6, the warning, just, just think back with me, the warning, especially in chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, 
Chapter 6, verse 1 through 8, there you will find the most extensive, and it feels like the strongest warning in the entire Bible. It's given with, with really strong words. In fact, some people have taken it out of the chapter. If you put it over to the side, you just read those eight verses, it can sound like you can lose your salvation. But it, remember, we always read a passage in its context of the book, in the context of the Testament, in the context of the Bible, and God's redemptive work throughout history. So in chapter 6, 1 through 8, it gives a strong warning, and then immediately after giving maybe the strongest warning in the entire Bible, in verse 9, the tone has changed completely. In verse 9 through 12, he gives some of the warmest encouragement that you'll find in all the pages of the Bible. He lays out this encouragement in a beautiful form, and he talks about how joyful, how good it is to actually be in Christ. Now, this morning, I have one, one aim, using the Bible. I want to use the Bible, and I want you, when you walk out of here today, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be strengthened. I want your soul to be fed by God's Word. And by the grace of God, I want you to relish the beauty of what God has done for us in Christ, what God has done for you at the cross of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see today that it is good to be a Christian. It's good to be a child of God. It's good to know that you are secure because of God's grace given to you in Jesus. And in order to do that, I just want to walk through the passage. We'll do it, we'll do it quickly. Let's go through it. And let me just show you a couple of good things you'll find in verses 9, 10, 11, and 12. Here's the first one. Number one, it is good to be loved. It's good to be loved. It, it, I mean, it is good to give love, and we are commanded to do that. We're commanded to love our neighbor. We're commanded to love one another. It's good to give affection. But you know, right here, you... Sometimes it's good to be on the, the receiving end. It's good to have affection turned your way. You see it there in the first phrase in verse 9. Notice what the preacher says to him in verse 9. He says, though we speak in this way, what way? That terrible warning. He just, he just scorched them in verses 1 through 8. He says, even though I had to talk so strongly back there, yet in your case, see the word? Beloved. I'd circle that word because it's the only time you'll find it in the entire book of Hebrews. After giving such a strong warning, he says to them, you need to, you need to remember how good it is to be loved. It's the only time, in fact, your Bible may have translated it, dear friends. I don't like that translation because it is agape. The word is agape toy. It is loved by God. How are we loved? I think we are loved in three specific ways I can talk about. You might organize it like this. We are loved generally. We are loved specifically. We are loved practically. When I say we are loved generally, what I mean by that is that you are loved by a common grace. It's a beautiful day, for instance. Here's the com what is common grace. Common grace is grace that is common for all people, whether you're a Christian or not. Yesterday was a beautiful day and went outside. It was the perfect temperature. It felt as if most of the pollen is almost gone. 
My eyes were clear, the sun was bright, the sky was blue. It was a beautiful day. For every person that loves Jesus, it was a beautiful day. For every person that could care less about Jesus, it was a beautiful day. Jesus says God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. It's common grace that, that God has loved. I mean, we sing about it. God so loved the world. It's this love God has for all of his creation that is extended to every person that has ever lived that God loves you. It is a general love. It is good to have the love of God. I am thankful for the common blessings that God gives to all people. It's good to be loved by God. That's a general love, but let's go a little further. As a Christian, we believe not just in a general love. We believe in a specific love. That we are loved specifically. When you are in Christ, it is a different kind of love. God doesn't just love you like he does all creation. When you are in Christ, it is a specific love that he has for you because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Look what he says here in verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, in other words, there is a difference here. In your case, beloved. Now, when I say what, what God has done for us in Christ, what I mean is that God is holy. This is, here's the gospel. When I say gospel, this is what I mean. God is a holy creator who created all of us in his image. You have dignity because you are created in the image of God. The image of God in us is disfigured because of our own sin. That sin is so bad that it separates us from God. God is holy. We are sinners. Therefore, we cannot approach God. God loving the world, God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Jesus Christ, being fully God and fully man, lived perfectly to fulfill all of God's law, every one of them in a way that we can't. We sin, Jesus was sinless. And the reason it goes to the cross, why the cross? At the cross, God judges all sin, but that judgment goes on Jesus. And here's how you become a Christian. Any person that turns from your sin and believes in what Jesus has done on the cross, he takes your sin, the payment for your sin, he gives his righteousness. Jesus died on the cross, and God raised him from the dead. We celebrated it last week. Raised him from the dead. It is the shout of victory to remind us that the sacrifice of Jesus has been accepted by the judge and you now are a child of God. You are loved not just generally that the sun shines on you. It's a different thing altogether. God loves you in Christ. We understand when we talk about this. We, so I, I have a dog named Spurgeon. I don't know if I love that dog. I probably like that dog. But let's just say for the sake of argument here that I love that dog. And I were to say to you, I love my dog. I love that dog with a different kind of love than I love Connie Presley. Two different, same word, two different kinds of love. A very specific, covenanted, exclusive love. When we say God loves all people, yes, he does. But when I say God loves you as a child of God, you are a son or a daughter in an exclusive way that is won only through what Christ has done for us on the cross. 
It is good. If you're a brother or sister in Christ, you should relish this. It is good to be loved by God in Christ. It is good to know that he looks at your life and sees the righteousness of Jesus in your life. That he's pleased with you. It's good to know that when God looks at you, he looks at you with the eyes of a father's, the purest affection for you in Christ. We are loved generally. We are loved specifically. I'd like to put another one on that. That we are loved practically. It's good to be loved practically or, or tangibly. What I mean by that is that we should express that with one another. We gather together as a church body. This is more than just a gathering of several hundred people that show up in the same room. This is a gathering of family that loves each other. The love of God shown to us through creation and then specifically in Christ must be expressed to one another. So that when you come, when you come into this church, you are not just coming to some big church as a number. You are coming as a child, a son or a daughter of God and a part of a family. And the church is given to each other to take care of one another. You spend all week, all week, Monday through Friday, on into Saturday, and your soul is beaten up. You work hard. You're tired. Come to church on Sunday. You gather here with the family by God's grace in Christ to have your wounds healed, to have your life centered so that you might be ready to walk out. Now, we are gathered here together to love one another. So let me ask you a question. Do you feel? Do you feel loved? Does the love of God given to you in Christ does that bring joy to your heart? It's good to be loved. Let me give you a second thing to consider. Let's click through these as quickly as we can. Number two, it is good not only to be loved, it is good to be growing. It is good to have given your life to Christ, to put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross, and then be growing. Let me read the whole verse. Verse 9, let's read it, and especially the end with the phrase, better things. Let me read it to you. The preacher says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation, things that follow salvation, things that get, give evidence to the fact that you actually are saved. We need to make sure we get it clear now where we put works and where we put faith. We believe that faith, by God's grace, saves us. We put our faith in what Jesus did on the cross. He did the work. We have the faith. He did the finished work on the cross. And after that happens, when you are converted, when you come to Christ, then there's evidence. Your works don't save you. Your works give evidence that you actually are saved. The seed of God's saving grace that has been implanted into your heart, germinated by the Holy Spirit, and something happens and you begin to grow. There are better things, the preacher says in verse 9. He says that um, even though I'm talking to you like this, I, I believe better about you because there's evidence of your salvation. Things that belong, like what? Things like the fact that you love God, that 
You have a love for His people, that you, that you hate your own sin, that you have a hatred, more hatred for your sin than somebody else's sin. You know when you're growing in Jesus, you know how you know it? You hate your sin more than you do everybody else's sin. You take care of your own house and quit looking over there at somebody else's house. Trying to clean out somebody's house and you're a hoarder in your house. You, you know you're growing when you care more about what's happening in your own heart. When, when, you, when you start developing a spirit of humility, when you have the real peace of God in your life, you, you're growing. You've just come off a week, some of you, a bad week, maybe a week or two, when things could not have gone worse and yet, there it is, the, the, the rocks on you, the peace of God. You, you know you're growing when there's a quick repentance, when you're confronted in sin, you realize it's sin, and you, you don't try to make excuses. What you do is you say, I, I was wrong, I want to I quit that. How do you know you're, you're growing? You, you're growing when you have joy in the Lord, when you love worship. When you're excited to see somebody baptized, it takes a lot of guts to get up there in a swimming pool and get baptized. To, to, to celebrate when you love to come to church and lift up the name of Christ and have the Bible open, there's something that's changed in your life. When you're quick to forgive people, when you desire holiness in your own heart, when your prayer life is going deep and when you learn to when you learn to be content, I'm so thankful for the men and women that have gone on before me at Hickory Grove Baptist Church that I see their lives and know what they're going through and so many content in Christ. You know you're growing when you quit complaining and you start praying. You know you're growing when you start trusting in providence. You look back at your life and everything that's happened to you in the past and you're not complaining about that. What you're saying is that this good God, you believe Romans 8, 28, he's using all things together to bring something good. You know you're growing when you trust sovereignty. You know you're growing when you're dedicated to your family. You know you're growing when you're clinging to the lordship of Christ, when you're celebrating grace, when you can't believe that God actually saved you. That's when you know you're growing. When you cling. To Christ. The preacher says, I gave a terrible warning back there in verses 1 through 8, but I don't believe that about you. I see better things, things that give evidence to salvation, things that accompany salvation. Are they? I mean, are they in your life? Are you growing? It's good. Brothers and sisters, it is good to be loved. It is good to be growing. Let me give you a third one, number three. It is good to work. Didn't see that one coming, did you? It's good to work. It's good to get up in the morning, open your eyes, do something that's productive. Good. Let me show you where I get that. I'm not just, I mean, I'm not just saying that. Let me show you where it comes from. In verse 10, you're going to see two or three things in verse 10 that are good, and they're based on the character of God. Let me show you that in verse 10. Let me just read it to you. For, that's the reason, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. God is not unjust. Oftentimes we think about the justice of God. We think about judgment 
but flip the coin over, the justice of God, it's also blessing. When, when there's good, and based on the character of God, the, the preacher saying, look, God is good, and because he is so good, what you're doing doesn't escape his sight. It doesn't go unnoticed. So that means that he sees, and the first thing he sees is, verse 10, is your work. It's the Greek word ergon. It's where we get the word uh, ergonomics. If you have an ergonomically correct chair, it is one of the ugliest pieces of furniture in your house, but it feels good to sit in. Why? Because it works. This the, the word here, it, that it works. That to, to have a task, to have employment, to, it's the things that you do. F for instance, when you get up in the morning and you go off to work, that's what this is. If you don't have a job, then this is talking about this is what you do with your day, how you occupy your time. And the preacher is saying, God is just, he's righteous, and he sees. He's pleased with your approach, with your diligence, when nobody else is paying any attention to what you're doing. He's pleased with your example, with your joyfulness at work. He's pleased with the fact that you are long-suffering, you are patient with people that don't deserve your patience. He, he's pleased with the fact that you are doing a great job and working hard at it when nobody else is actually noticing. When nobody sees it, you are still throwing yourself into your labor. Because God is righteous, he sees that. And in his righteousness, blesses that. Now, don't fall off into think that um, we aren't supposed to work or that work is something that evil. Work is good. Why? Because work existed before the fall of Adam and Eve. God created us, put us in the garden. He didn't put us there to lay in hammocks and eat fruit. That's what got Adam in trouble. What he put us there to do was to actually work. Now, it got hard after the fall when all the thorns and thistles and the ground was cursed. But before that, we are put there to actually do something, to take dominion. I'm reading through Ecclesiastes in my Bible reading now. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, that preacher says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. The Apostle Paul reaches over into the Old Testament, baptizes what the preacher says in Ecclesiastes, and Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, Paul says, Whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will actually receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. What is it now? What is it? Because none of us, not all of us love our job. What, what is it? What is it in you that needs to change? What is it in you that needs to change so that you might find contentment in where the Lord has you Monday through Saturday? It's good, see, to be loved. It's good to grow. It's good to work. Let me give you something else that's good. Number three or number four. I'm losing count. Number four. It's good to worship. It's good to worship. It's good to lift up the name of God. You'll see it in verse 10. Notice what the text says. God is not unjust so as to overlook your work. He sees that. And here's what else he sees. The love that you have shown 
for his name. You know what God sees? That you care about his reputation more than your own. The love that you have for the name of God, the reputation of God. The, here's the idea. <clears throat> the idea is that God sees the care that you are taking to live in such a way that God is actually honored in your life. You understand that he is the king. You live in a foreign land, this world, and you are his ambassador. And as an ambassador for the gospel, you represent the king. Now, this world we live in now, it will become increasingly clear that we do not belong here. And yet we are here. We are here as ambassadors to adorn the gospel, to, to honor the gospel. When I say the gospel, this is what I mean. That God is a holy creator who created all of us in his image. You have dignity because of that. But that dignity in our hearts has been messed up because of our sin. That sin is an offense to God, and God must punish sin the way he punishes it because we couldn't take... The way he punishes it is on Jesus. Jesus died in the place of sinners. God raised him from the dead. And the gospel promise is that if you'll put your faith in that, believe that the bible teaches that you will be saved that's the gospel and after you're saved then you live a life honoring christ i mean surely surely that's what that's what paul meant romans chapter 12 verse 1 remember what paul said i appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of god present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god that is your spiritual worship. That, that, that even to your own hurt, even when it's going to hurt you, you think more of God's reputation than you do your own. And the preacher says, God sees that. He sees how you're working. He sees that you, that you worship I, look, I really do think that begins on Sunday mornings when we gather together. I don't know why any Christian would ever skip church on a Sunday morning. I think it starts when we gather together. We spent the whole week out there being beat up, working hard, we're tired. We come here, and our lives have been misaligned. We come here to center around Christ. That's why this whole worship service is always designed to get your eyes up to Jesus so that your life is then centered back on Christ and you head back out into the world realigned each week. Let me ask you this. What is it? <clears throat> What's more important? What's more important? What people think of you or what people think of God? It's good to worship. It's also good to serve. You'll see that in verse 10. Notice it with me in verse 10. It is good to serve. One last thing in verse 10. Look what else he sees there. For God is not unjust so as to overlook. Okay, he sees your work and the love that you have sown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Serving. Now, we talked about work, ergon, that is the work, that's like a vocation. This word for serving is the word diakonos, is where we get the word deacon. 
it's always used to describe working, serving in the church. So many people that come to Hickory Grove, they do so many things. It takes hundreds of people to pull off church on any given Sunday morning. So many people do so many things to make sure Sunday morning church functions. Whether it's a community group teacher, they've been working all week to get ready for the lesson. We've got people out in the parking lot, volunteer driving shuttles, standing out front greeting people. Look, I come in every Sunday morning really early. I'm probably here by 6.40 or so on a Sunday morning, and I am never the per first person here. Most of the time, the first people here are people that are not getting a paycheck. They've come just to serve in the church, whether it's in the kitchen or greeting or ushers or camp or with students or children or singing up here, doing mercy ministries, running security, working in the nursery, or just being someone that sets an example. The text says, Look, God is not unjust. He sees it. He sees the fact that you work all week. He sees the fact that you honor the name of He sees that you give yourself. Where, where can you find a place to serve at your church? It's good to serve. Let's take verses 11 and 12. <clears throat> Spend a lot of time, verse 9 and 10. Verse 11 and 12, that's one long sentence. Let's run through it with a couple of points. Here's the sixth one. Number six, it is good to get serious about the Lord. Join me there in verse 11, one long sentence. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness. Earnestness. Pause there, circle the word. Earn, to be, to be hasty, to be disciplined, to go with speed and intentionality, to put forth some effort. To, to think on, to have something that is reflected in your life, that there is a change that you actually do take your relationship to God very seriously, then it shows up every day, it shows up every Sunday, and it affects every part of your life. I think it'll show up in a daily devotion. Starting your day with the Bible open, spending time, just a few moments, ready for the day, asking God to help you through it, doing that all week long and showing up with other people that have had a rough week, and yet here we are, once again, lifting up the name of Christ, ministering to each other, so you take your relationship to the Lord very seriously. And, and the genuine tenor of your life, you can tell. I've been doing this long enough at Hickory Grove. And you're 12 years now, and one of the great joys of my life, seeing men and women get serious about the Lord. It's good to get serious about the Lord. Let me give you a seventh and then maybe an eighth. Number seven, it is good to live your life in hope. Look with me at verse 11 and look at the three things in verse 11. Let's just, just look at it. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Full assurance of hope Till the end. Three things. Full assurance to have conviction and confidence. What kind of conviction and confidence? One in hope. What is that hope? What does it mean to look to the future? Let me give you my, my definition of hope. Hope is the joyful belief 
a joyful belief in the future in spite of the dreadful circumstances you're in right now. Hope is it gets better. That's what Christians have. One of the most beautiful things of being a Christian is not all the doctrine, which I do love. One of the most beautiful things of being a Christian is that regardless what comes your way, what you have inside of you is hope. And if you get a grain of hope in your heart, you can face anything. And the preacher's saying, look, it's good for you to have hope, a full assurance of hope. Where does our hope come from? It comes from Jesus dying on the cross in the place of sinners. And, and last Sunday, God raised him from the dead. And since that time, we live with great hope in the future. Like, I'm so thankful. This is what, this is what gave martyrs in the early church, why they could go to their death singing hymns because they had hope. This is when the English Reformation came through and after Bloody Mary started killing all of the Protestants. This is why they could let the flames come up to their bodies and sing hymns as they were burning because they had hope. What is this hope? Full assurance of hope till the end. This is the sustaining mindset the sustaining mindset of I will serve him till I breathe my last. I got a good brother in the Lord who goes to church here and got hurt real bad last week and had to have surgery on his bicep, his arms out there in the lobby. You probably saw him like a bionic man. We're on a text thread with a couple other guys. One of those men was Elmer Dryden. Elmer Dryden served this church faithfully for all these years. And Elmer Dryden died early this morning and as late as last Thursday or Friday, on that text, I mean, he ain't been to church, can't get out of his house, texting encouragement, the full assurance of hope till the end. The preacher closes by saying, you need to make sure you know the right people. It is good, it is good to follow the right people. You see, see what it says there in verse 12? Do this so that you may not be sluggish. Don't be sluggish, lazy. That's the word. Don't be sluggish, but, contrast, imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. You know what, you know what the preacher's saying? I mean, it's good to be a Christian, but you've got to have people you can sort of set your life after. To imitate is the word of verse 12. It is wherever we get the word mimic, you imitate their faith and their patience and their inheritance. And I would just say to you, choose your heroes wisely. Choose who your life mimics wisely. Paul would say it like this, you should follow me as I follow Christ. Last week we had Easter week. One of those days is called Monday, Thursday. It comes from the Latin word mandate. It is when Jesus was washing his disciples' feet in John chapter 13. He washed the disciples' feet, and, and here's the command he gave them. He said to them, I have given you, I have given you an example. You should do 
what I have done. And take care of one another. Our Savior, our example, our Lord. It is good to be a Christian, to be a child of God. And today, you sit in this room, you either rejoice in that truth that it's good to be a Christian, or you need to yield to the beautiful truth of the gospel, turning from your sin and by faith turning to Christ. It's good. It's good to be a Christian. Will you join me as we pray together? With your heads bowed this morning as we go to the Lord, I'd like to ask just a couple of, uh, with your heads bowed, let's just finish it like this. <clears throat> For you to experience that joy, what attitude, what attitude needs to change? In your heart, what needs to change? Maybe you need to just pray that to the Lord right now. Or what confession You've been wrestling a sin for too long and you just, you realize that. What confession needs to be made today? Or possibly you, you, you see the sin, you've confessed it. What repentance, where does it need to change? What repentance needs to be offered to God? Or maybe you just want to rejoice. We're going to, we're going to sing one last worship song. What praise needs to be sung? You sing to the Lord with all of your heart. This morning, if you want a pastor to pray with you, you need someone to lift you up, when we sing, we'll just invite you to come forward. Our pastors are right down here on the front. Glad to talk with you or pray with you as we sing our last worship song. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace that you've given us in Jesus. We pray you find us faithful. We thank you for saving us in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand as we sing together?